0: Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture, or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. And I cannot turn this page unless otherwise my tablet cooperates. So help me. Amen. <clears throat> well, in any case, these words were spoken by Martin Luther, who, after many years of struggling greatly, to try to present himself as pure and clean before God was unable to. He was a monk of the 15th, I'm sorry, the 16th century. And he had relied upon things like sleeping in the freezing cold without a blanket, going days on end without eating, so that he could somehow, by the, grace of God, by the, by the work that he did and the grace of God, find himself forgiven, find himself pleasing the wrath of God. On this particular day, October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago, after having spent a couple of years meditating upon the goodness of God, as he found it in such places as, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When hope began to spring up in him, and by turning to the Apostle Paul and reading that the just shall live by faith. This is a monk who once said, If ever there was a monk that could get to heaven by sheer monkery, it was I. If I had any more prayers, any more vigils, any more readings, any more of other works, I would surely have killed myself in doing them. But he found in that statement, the just shall live by faith, or those who live by faith will be righteous. He found in there a hope that he had not yet seen. He stood against Roman Catholic practices and theology, and in particular, What spurred this event was the Roman Catholic practice of indulgences, wherein a person could, through certain deeds, through money given, have their soul's time in purgatory, a Roman Catholic doctrine, where one goes to have their soul purged of any remaining sin before entering heaven because one cannot enter heaven and be in the presence of God by faith in Christ alone. And so this well-disciplined, devout Roman Catholic monk, Stood his ground. He stood before a council that wanted to condemn him. He stood before many that wanted him to recant. He stood before those that wanted to destroy him. And he found what he had been looking for. And he found for the first time in his life that it would be by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, by scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Uh, We're going to sing one of Martin Luther's well-known, perhaps best-known and best-beloved hymns, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I was ready to really impress you and pronounce it in German, but since I can't get to that page, I can't do it. But uh, I, hope, I hope that you see in this song some of your own spiritual battle. Martin Luther fought spiritual battles. He battled literally with demons. Uh, and along with the difficulties he had with the Roman Catholic Church at this particular time in Wittenberg in 1527, there was a plague and he housed many of his friends that were suffering from the disease and watched many of them die there. And so with all these things going through his soul, he wrote this hymn that we are going to sing now. And then you're going to hear about those five alones that I mentioned, those five solas from our brothers in succession.
1: I thought it was kind of ironic this morning that
2: several people told me that I look like a Catholic priest without the collar on Reformation Sunday. So, peace be with you. <laughs> Some former Catholics here, and maybe, maybe present Catholics, we hope so. So we look at sola scripture. Scripture alone. And probably the most important question that someone can ask you or that you could ask somebody else if you're a believer is this. What do you think about the Bible? What do you think of the Bible? And your answer and their answer may decide and influence whether they might spend eternity in heaven with the Lord or in hell with the devil and his angels and the enemies of God. And Martin Luther, as was just mentioned Found in his Lord and salvation through the, through the scriptures of Romans, specifically Romans 1.16, by understanding and trusting the Bible as God's true word, found not only his right and authority to be born again, but saw it very heaven itself and wished to enter the gates of paradise. If it weren't for the Bible, then we wouldn't know really who Christ is. We wouldn't know really about faith and what faith truly is if it weren't for scripture. We wouldn't know about grace and what grace is. And even the glory of God, though we see it in his earth, we would not understand his true character and personhood without the scripture explaining it to us. What do you think about the Bible today? Do you believe it's the word of God? Do you believe it's an errant and infallible meaning that it's true in everything that it says, everything That it teaches every word that is written down, or are you like some people who think that the Bible was written by imperfect men who wrote down imperfect thoughts and there's inconsistencies and it was copied so many times over hundreds of years, there's contradictions and inaccuracies in the Bible? What do you think about the Bible today, truly? Where does every journey start? It starts at the beginning. Where does every marriage start? At the beginning. And where does our knowledge about God and salvation start? You know where I'm going with this. At the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God. In the Gospel of John, I find it interesting. If you know the Gospel of John well, you realize that it also repeats the same truth about Scripture in itself. In John 1, verses 1 through 2, it starts like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Christ is the word of God incarnate. That's something that I truly, uh, it amazes me as I realize it every day, that he, he is the word of God. He is the origin of the word. He's the living word that came down from heaven. He is the custodian of all truth contained in the scripture. The Bible which you hold today in a reading Knowing this, then what better person should we seek to ask what he thought and believed about the Bible? What did Jesus Christ believe and teach about Scripture itself? And how important were the Scriptures to him? And if the Scriptures were so important to Jesus, how should that be with us? Jesus said in Matthew four, verse four, and he's repeating from Deuteronomy eight, three. He said this man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Matthew five eighteen, he said till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus' view of scripture was so detailed and so profound in its perfection that he said not even the smallest letter that's written, not one, the smallest stroke of the pen would pass away, but it would be fulfilled. It's so accurate that the very letters themselves are without error. A jot or a tittle in the Hebrew alphabet, there's a character which to us looks like a apostrophe, very small. You know how small an apostrophe is. Jesus said that would not pass away. What was a tittle in the scripture? In, in the characters of the, in the Hebrew language, a D and an R looked identical. They just had a little upline and a cross side. But the letter D was distinguished because to the right side, at the top, there was a little mark that came out. Just a tiny, tiny swish mark. That made it different from a D and an R. Jesus said, that's how accurate the word of God is. The very marks in the letters of what was printed was true. The Bible is so important that it declares itself to be the beginning of the wisdom of our salvation. Romans ten seventeen says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Even faith must come through the scriptures as far as hearing the truth to believe in the truth. When Jesus was questioned and attacked by his enemies, he answered back with the Bible In the gospel of Matthew. Jesus declares to the accusations of his enemies six times. He says this phrase, have you never read? Have you never read? That's the confidence he puts in the word of God. He answered them with the simple phrase, you know, the scripture. Well, they should have known the scripture they read, but did they care? Even the devil himself knows the importance of the Bible and the scriptures. When he attempted to test and to tempt Jesus, he misquoted and misused the scriptures themselves. He took advantage uh, or tries to take advantage of that tactic today by speaking with error to misuse and misquote the Bible and many people that you know. Have fallen for this. How did Jesus answer back the devil when he was tested? Three times when he was tested, he answered back with the Bible, with scripture. What a model and a lesson that we have for us. One more passage in the scripture concerning it speaking of itself is this in Hebrews 412. It says, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's fascinating. When you read the Bible and you're willing to understand it and look toward it for truth, the scriptures, the living and active word of God, will actually divide your motives, or intentions, and expose you to yourself. The word of God will come and and show you that what you really want to know, he will be shown to you. Or if you do not want to know the truth, you will reject it. But if you truly read the word of God with an open heart, it is living and active. It has an energy of its own and it will divide your heart one way or the other. So what do you believe about the Bible? Do you trust it word for word? Do you depend upon it? If you're a Christian today, I would just ask you, do you read it in a way that you're willing to lay your heart next to it, your thoughts and your mind and and your motives and your intentions? Are you willing to, to, when you read the scripture and you feel conviction from its word, the living word, and from the Holy Spirit as he convicts, are you willing to then change according to what it's demanding of you, what it's teaching you? Not just the parts of the Bible that we like and that we're strong in, but the ones that we read and we feel weak and we feel tried and tested and fail in. What about those parts? Are you willing to lay beside your life beside that? Friend, your life and eternal destiny can depend on a beginning point. And the beginning point is, what do you think of the Bible?
3: You can turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 5, as we look at sola fide, faith alone. Martin Luther said that sola fide is the principal article of the Reformation. He also called justification by faith the point of belief which determines whether the church stands or falls. In 1537, he wrote that nothing in this article can be given up or compromised, even if heaven and earth and things temporal should be destroyed. This was an incredibly significant statement by the reformers to say that faith alone is the way in which we are saved. Uh, One way we can tell it is incredibly significant or was incredibly significant was how the Catholic Church responded to it. If you look at the Council of Trent, which occurred in the mid-1500s, they wrote a series of canons and thoughts and beliefs that were codified and still held by the church today. And they wrote these in response to the truths coming out of the Protestant Reformation. Just to highlight a couple of these, Canon 9 in the Decree Concerning Justification says that if anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, sola fide, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will. Let him, let that person who holds this belief, be anathema. Anathema is a curse. It is excommunication. If you are a member of the Catholic Church and you held to this belief, They would excommunicate you. It is also a call for God's judgment upon that person. It is a curse. They said in Canon 24, if anyone says that justice or or justification received is not preserved and also not increased before God through good works, but that those works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be. Anathema. They were trying to preserve their belief that works at some level contributed to our salvation. They also said in Canon 14 that if anyone says that by this faith alone absolution and justification are affected, let him be anathema. This was very, very serious belief. People, people died for these truths. The reformers gave their lives, put their lives on the line to hold these beliefs. Believing false doctrine is incredibly dangerous. That's a lesson for us even today. At some point in our theology, we, we are not perfect. We go awry at some point. For we are all sinners and nobody has it perfectly right. We need to be constantly on guard, constantly searching the scriptures to, to continue to reaffirm those things that we know to be true. And to correct those places where we are slightly astray, perhaps. When the Reformers read... We'll look at Romans 5, but you can go back to Romans 3. When they read verses like Romans 3.27, they could not help but go against the doctrine that the church taught. Romans 3.27, it says, What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If you turn over to Romans 4, verse 4, it says, Not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And it is once again faith Alone, And this is what the reformers saw one fascinating thing about Martin Luther is that as as Pat said he really tried he tried incredibly hard to justify himself before God and as he searched the scriptures as he as he tried to find a way to be right before God he found a God who was infinitely more threatening than he had previously believed he found out that he was more of a sinner than he had ever known. And as he continued to search for a way to be justified, he, he saw the divide between himself and God growing and growing and growing. And then he came to Romans 17, and he says, As I meditated day and night on the relation of the words, the righteousness of God is revealed in it. As it is written, the righteous person shall live by faith. He says, I began to understand that righteousness of God as that by which the righteous person lives by the gift of God. And this sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed to refer to a passive righteousness by which the merciful God justifies us by faith. He said, this immediately made me feel as though I had been born again. A monk who had searched the scriptures for years at that moment He says, It made him feel as though I had entered through open gates into paradise itself. In Romans 5, 1, it says that, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Since we have been justified by faith, there is nothing that comes after that. There is nothing that adds to that. The conclusion is we have peace with God. And there is nothing... That creates that peace, except for justification by faith and by faith alone. It is a justification that God declares. It is a statement that God makes, a a judicial statement concerning your right, your rightness to stand before him. And it comes through faith and it comes through faith alone. And it results in peace. One of the, one of our favorite songs says that we were once enemies. We were enemies of God, but now we are seated at His table. And that is what this verse speaks to. We have peace with God. And it, is, it was the most beautiful thing that Martin Luther came to understand. It is the most beautiful thing that we can learn and understand. That justification comes by faith alone. Our, our reflex, our natural religion is works-based. Our natural way to, to receive commendation, to get right in somebody's eyes, is to do something. But that is not God's way. We come to God by grace through faith. And it is faith alone. And that is what grants us peace before God. The difficulties, the issues that we face from year to year, throughout the centuries, change. And they were certainly different for the Reformers than they are now. One thing that we can do now, as we talk about faith alone and how we are saved only by faith, and we talk about the strength of our faith, the consistency of our faith, we can put too much focus on our faith. That may sound strange, but let me me work that out a little bit here. If we worry about our faith's strength, if we... Try to think too much about the reality, the consistency, and and there's a time and a place for that. But if we do it too much, we can start to focus inward on our faith. We, We can start to almost create an idol out of our faith with the time and the attention we give to it. Where our faith can grow into something that contributes to our salvation. And I say this because this is common in today's Christian culture. Faith is only valuable because of the object it latches onto. If I can give an example here, if, if you see a storm building and it is, and you're in an open place and you're, you're, you're not in a place where you can be protected, if you see a storm building and coming towards you and, and maybe you're near the edge of the ocean and you see waves building and building and they get stronger and bigger and greater and And you realize that in a moment you are about to be overwhelmed and destroyed. But then you see a massive rock formation with with a cleft in it that you can step into. And when you do that, as the waves come and beat and crash, they don't touch you because you are hidden and you are protected. In that moment is the focus on your faith in the rock's ability. Are you saved because of your faith in that moment? Because of something inside of you? Do you, do the walls of the rock get stronger because you believe harder? Do you see what I'm getting at? If we focus too much on our faith, we forget the reality of the object of our faith. And we take our eyes off of Christ. The only reason we are justified by faith alone is because of what, or not because of what, because of who we put our faith in. Again, there is an appropriate time to look at our faith and analyze it and grow it. But we can spend too much time talking about our faith, bragging about our faith, worrying about our faith. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. And it is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively Not in the act of faith or the attitude of faith or in the nature of faith, but in the object of our faith. And so even as we we rejoice in the reality that we are saved by faith alone, do not, do not spend all of your time focusing on the faith that God has given you. Faith is simply there to look to someone else. Saving faith renounces trust in anything yourself, others, anything this world offers, and look solely to Christ. That's what saving faith does. It is simply stepping inside the cleft of the rock and knowing that you are protected simply because of who protects you. And it has nothing to do with anything but Him. Faith says, I have nothing. He has everything. I am looking to Him and in Him and Him alone I am saved by faith.
1: do a time check, so we're not here until 5 p.m. <laughs> so, Sole Gratia, save uh, by grace alone. This is the battlefront, that another battlefront that Martin Luther approached, and at the, at the time, the Catholic Church felt like they were the dispensers of grace. You would you would get baptized and there was some grace and you would you would go through your confessions and that would be grace and and you would do other other acts of of service through the church and that would be grace. The church would be dispensing this grace on you. And Martin Luther said, "This is a polluted grace. You you are destroying grace." And Martin Luther preached a, a pure grace when he nailed that thesis to the church. He he he. Uh, he came after, after the church saying, you are polluting the grace of God and you are turning it into something that's, that, that's tainted. And so, uh, and uh, seven years after Martin Luther had nailed his theses to the, to the door, an author, a man by the name of Erasmus, wrote a book challenging Martin Luther on the effect of sin on man's will. And, and people were kind of baffled that Erasmus would go after this thing. And, and Martin Luther wrote back to him in bondage of the will and said, Erasmus, thank you, sir, for not wasting my time. Thank you so much for avoiding all of these other things. And you, you, my friend, have hit the live nerve of the debate. He, Martin Luther said, you, sir, Erasmus, have found the hinge on which all things swing. Is, Is salvation a pure grace where it's God alone? Or is salvation a a, a polluted grace where it's man making the decision, choosing God, where God gives an offer, but man is the one who essentially makes the decision at the end, where man becomes a co-savior? And Martin Luther attacked... Uh, attack this, this thinking, saying, No, it is all God. God is the Alpha and the Omega of salvation. He exclusively is the Savior of lost sinners. God provides the grace, God provides the faith in which the, the lost sinner activates the faith in which to be saved. And so Martin Luther and the Reformers preached this saving sovereign grace because they came back to the sola scriptura like we heard about earlier that they came back to the authority of the scriptures and came under the scriptures they understood that when the scriptures speak God is speaking and the scriptures clearly stated the grace of God and his sovereign saving grace in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 Martin Luther pointed out that we are saved through grace by faith Not of her own, but a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. It it is all God's saving grace when we're here about the glory of God. God receives all the glory in salvation. And so Martin Luther also pointed out, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, because of him we are in Christ. And also in Uh, I had a bunch of verses memorized, and I'm losing them now. <laughs> um, First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. Uh, also in um, yes, thank you, thank you. And in and Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-nine, we have been appointed not only to suffer for His name's sake, but to believe. In Revelation 17, it talks about the believers that won't bow the knee to the beast, whose names have been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And so because of God's grace, because he is the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation, we depend on Him for everything. If if God left us to our own by our nature, we would never choose Him. In first John Chapter four it says, In this in this this is love that we didn't love God, but He loved us first. And so God had chosen us before the foundations of the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about we have been predestined before the foundation of the world. So it is this pure grace that Martin Luther was was nailing to the wall saying, like, we have nothing to do with our salvation. If it wasn't for this pure grace of God, we would have no hope. And because of this grace, we are saved. And we have a mighty, wonderful, awesome God, a Savior who can... Through His Word, like we heard about in Sola Scripture, how it pierces, His Word pierces through bone and marrow and even through the soul. And so by God's Word, He pierces us and activates the faith in which we reach out to Christ to grab onto Him. And so because of Sola Grate, we have a wonder, wonderful, mighty Savior.
4: Good morning. Sola Christus. Christ alone. Through Scripture alone, through faith alone, through grace alone. The Lord's own words. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. Had you believed Jesus? Um, Jesus tells those very religious people, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. Because Moses wrote of me. It's all about him. Our brother last week or the week before, our hymn book. Because it's all about him. I just have a few verses to read. Maybe a couple of, an excerpt or two from uh, Mr. Spurgeon and perhaps a thought or two and uh, try to try to wove a scarlet thread through it all and kind of tie it together and hope that uh, it's to the glory of God. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. It's a very hard verse, not a very popular verse. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5. Now these aren't my words. Please don't get upset with me. If you have an argument, if it bothers you, please don't get upset with me. Argue with God. There is one God. In one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now I know today that that verse has been changed. For there is one God in many, many mediators between God and men. It's more inclusive. It's more tolerant. It's more magnanimous. Who are we to claim that it is through Christ alone? The writer of Hebrews Wherefore he is able Also, to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Christ alone. In the book of Acts, Luke tells us, neither is there salvation in any other. That's hard. That's a hard statement. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must Be saved. Our brother talked about faith alone. There has to be, and he brought out, there has to be an object for our faith. So many people place faith in, in, there's nothing wrong with faith in your doctors, faith in uh, your, your, your teachers and whatnot, your boss, but for our salvation alone, It's Christ. I don't have any Martin Luther stories other than the one that, I don't know, I always seem to remember that the Satan was, he seemed to be a man that was under such attacks by the devil about his salvation. Ah, you're not saved. Who do you think you are? And one night as he wrestled in bed and it was going through him and over and and sweating profusely and He finally jumps out of bed, and I believe he took a candle and took his scriptures and shoved the Bible underneath his bed and told Satan, read it yourself. (laughs) God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever believeth on him, nothing else is mentioned in connection with the Lord Jesus who is the sole foundation. It is not written, he that believeth on Jesus nine parts out of ten and on himself for the other ten. No, no. Whosoever believeth on him, on him alone, Jesus will never be a part-time Savior. It's not God cast his lot, and you cast your lot, and the Satan has the deciding ballot. It's Christ alone that rose for our justification, that ascended. And there he is, on the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for you. For you for you. I don't know if anyone feels insignificant sometimes or the least amongst the saints, not fit to be called a saint. I can't, woe is me, I can't do anything right. He's interceding for you. Oh, I'm not like brother so and so. Look at how, for you, he's pleading the blood. Whosoever believeth on him, we must not rest in part upon what we hope to do in the future, nor in part upon the efficacy of an outward ceremony. No, the faith must be on him. Both feet must be on the rock of ages. Think about that. Both feet must be on the rock of ages. One more excerpt. No man. You know, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, or child can come unto the Father but through him. Those aren't my words. Please, don't don't be upset. No man can come unto God but by Jesus Christ. Do you fancy, there are some men we want of who despise the mediation of the Savior and who if they were in an hour of peril would put up their prayer at once to God without faith in the mediator. Do such of you fancy that you will be heard and saved by the great God, your creator, apart from the merits of his son? Let me solemnly assure you, in God's most holy Name. There never... Just listen to this. There never was a prayer answered for salvation by God the Creator since Adam fell without Jesus Christ, the Mediator. Can you imagine that? Not one prayer for salvation ever goes up before God, except through Jesus Christ. Not one. It is only Him. It's not Christ in Mary. Jesus isn't so upset, as we've been told. Jesus is described as He's ripping angry at sinners, ready to just... And Mary is there, Come, come, calm, calm down. Calm, calm. They're not so bad. No. It's through him, and he's at the right hand of God. And in closing, it it'll always remind me. I, I love that. I love that account in Exodus when the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites. And Moses, he's up on the mount, and he's praying. And Moses is pleading with God for the victory over the Amalekites. Pleading from morning until afternoon, until in the evening. He's pleading. But his hand, one of his hands grew weary, and it continually, and when his hand dropped down, The Amalekites were prevailing over the Israelites. But when his hand was stayed up, his brother and another fellow, help, when his hand was stayed up like that, the Israelites were prevailing over the Amalekites. Jesus' hands never, never droop down, never fail, never. Imagine him losing. One person. Imagine all hell rising up. He lost one. He was not able to hold on to the weakest of the saints. That's what kind of savior we have. That is our savior. That is the one that loved you unto death and now sits at the right hand of the father. Inter- I'm so happy to think that he would intercede for me. For me. For me, truly Christ is all. But let me ask you, to some of us, he might be something. To others, he might be most. But would to God that Christ was all. Thank you.
5: A brother had said that if you are over the fact that you are a Christian, then you are probably not a Christian. Because this salvation that we have is so great that it should never cease in our hearts to want to give praise to God. Only by Scripture, only by faith, only by grace, only by Christ, and only... Soli di gloria. These are all Latin terms of course. Only to God be the glory. A fellow had come up to me the other day. I think it was Wednesday. He said, Gary, do I have to go to church to become a Christian? His mother's a faithful believer and she keeps hopping on him. He's in his early 30s now. It says, you've got to go to church to get saved. And he keeps hearing this over and over again and it's, Annoying to him. And I said to him, No, you don't have to go to church. But you have to go to the head of the church. You've got to go to Christ like our brother was saying. It's only through Him. And faith does come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The church is a mouthpiece for God. But God speaks for Himself in the Word of God only through the Scriptures. Only by faith. Only by grace. And only through Christ in all to the glory of God. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse number 4, it says, To whom? That's God. Be the glory forever and ever. Can you say amen, church? Amen. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Uh, brother, where is Lydia here today? I don't see her. Anyway, Lydia, are you back there? If you're not, well, hopefully you'll hear this. Her uncle got saved January 1st with it, and he had a big business, a very, uh, carpentry business. He had a, a work van. The next time I saw him after he got saved, he had painted on the side of his truck, to God be the glory. And I said, wow, the brother's got it. He understands that his salvation is due to God and God only. And he's the one that the glory belongs to. There's a popular song that's going to be coming out soon. I think it already has. I won't mention who the uh, singer is and who the author of the song is. I happened to catch it on the TV the other day. And these are the lyrics in the song. Jesus is wild about me. I always make him smile. My justice is, excuse me, my picture is in his wallet because I'm his favorite child. To God be the glory. Once I was foolish, sin reigned my heart, causing my footsteps from God to to depart. Boasting excluded pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Do you have that story? Can you say, glory be to God? Can you strip yourself naked of all your pride, of all your achievements, of all of your works? As best as you think they might be, the Bible says they are as filthy rags. Take them off, throw them away, come naked to the cross and behold the Lamb of God and say, Lord, I'm giving you the glory, the honor and the praise because salvation is of the Lord. We cannot boast of it. We have nothing to do about it. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name we give glory. Unto thy name give glory. What is that? What does that mean to God only be the glory? Our brother was going to refer to 1 Corinthians 130. Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Unto Him be the glory, because your salvation is not dependent on you. Yes, you believe. Yes, you had faith from the Lord. Yes, you got grace from God. Yes, you may have read the Bible or heard the Word. But the bottom line is, to God be the glory. If you're a child of God, you should be jumping up and down about the Reformation that brought mankind, so to speak, back to the Word of God. And the Scriptures were open. The Bible was published. At about the same time, the printing press was invented so that the first thing that comes off of the printing press, Gutenberg's press, was the Bible. So that, as, as, as William Tyndale said, so that the boy who pushes the plowshare can read it. It becomes available to humanity. And praise God, so many people began to open up the Word. And like Martin Luther saw, that the just shall live by faith. You can do all the best works you could possibly accumulate. I love the way a brother had put it one time when he was trying to illustrate before an unsaved friend how salvation is not of works. He says, imagine you accumulating all of your good works, putting them in nicely wrapped Christmas presents, and you just stack them up one on top of another, of another, and another, as high as they possibly could go. After that, Put the cross of Jesus Christ right next to those works of yours that are piled as high as the sky. And ask yourself this, what will God accept? Will He accept all of these? Or will He accept what His Son did for me on the cross? One is to the glory of man. The other one is to the glory of God. To whom be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we will not cease to give God praise when we get to heaven. The cross will fascinate us for eternity because we will always hark back to that amazing grace that sent the Son of God who spanned the gulf of sin between us and God by Jesus becoming a sin bearer for us. So we want to take our golden crowns and cast them before the glassy sea and say to God, to God, to God, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to You be glory and honor and praise. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the great salvation. Your Word says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Lord, our hearts go out to anyone in this room, that is devoid of the Gospel, that have never received it, that have never bowed the knee, that have never taken off those false garments, those fig leaves, Lord, of their life, thinking that this would be acceptable to You, O God. We pray, Lord, that there would be an exchange today, that someone would receive the grace of God by faith, entrust the Lord Jesus as their only Savior, by obedience to the Word of God, that they may go out of this place this morning saying, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Truly, Lord, you raise up the beggar out of the dunghill. You set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. Oh God, we do as it were this morning want to give you praise for opening up our hearts in giving us a knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our forefathers, for those, Lord, that sought thee and that, Lord, you worked in their lives and you gave them a revelation and an understanding that it is only by Scripture. It is only by faith. Mm -hmm. It is only by grace. It is only through Christ. And, Lord, it's all to your glory. Father, receive our praise, our worship, and thanksgiving in the worthy and precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.